You are Locked On Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Happy Friday. Today on Locked on Kings, Mr. Jason Jones of The Athletic, longtime reporter covering the Sacramento Kings, joins me. He is back, and we have a lot to talk about. We're going to get Jason's thoughts on this entire Marvin Bagley saga, how much pressure is on the Kings to move or keep Bagley. We'll talk about Bagley being the starting center for the Kings going into next year. We'll talk about the possibility of the Kings trading the number nine pick or the players that could be available at that nine range, how much they will help the Kings ultimately make the playoffs and so much more it's all on today's episode of the locked on kings podcast Hello and welcome into Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season and all offseason. If you're looking for in-depth analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, highlights, interviews with local and national experts, full coverage of the Sacramento Kings from January all the way through to December, this is the place for you, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I've been a Sacramento sports radio host for the last six, nearly seven years. Looking forward to covering season number eight of Sacramento Kings basketball for me, both as an on-air host and a multimedia journalist. It's been a while since we've had Jason Jones here on Locked on Kings. He's one of my favorite guests to have on. Uh, His episodes always do well. You seem to really like uh, his coverage of the Kings. He's been around for such a long time covering Kings basketball all the way from the glory days through until today. He's seen a lot of losing, uh, and he, despite being a Lakers fan, is just as excited or just as desperate to see and cover playoff basketball uh, as we all are. So very excited for this conversation with Jason. Like I said in the intro, we touch on a lot of different topics. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with the Athletics' Jason Jones. It's always a pleasure when we can have the Athletics' Jason Jones here on the Locked on Kings podcast. Jason, kind enough to uh, join me here on Locked on Kings, fresh off of a little trip. So I hope you're feeling refreshed, Jason. I hope you're getting in the uh, the most of this NBA offseason. Unusual that we still have the NBA Finals going on in the uh, the middle of July. But hey, here we are, just part of the abnormal NBA calendar over the last, like, what, 16, 18 months? It's been crazy, but I hope you're doing well. I'm doing all right. My allergies didn't appreciate me going out of state, but outside of that, I'm fine. So we have a lot that I want to discuss, and, and I'm not entirely sure where to start. So I guess I'll go with with Marvin Bagley uh, first and foremost, and of course all the drama surrounding uh, Bagley. And I kind of wanted to get your idea of, I, I think I know what Bagley's camp wants. They want a new a change of scenery. I think Bagley agrees with them or feels the same way based off of his actions, although he's never said anything publicly really to to suggest that, unlike uh, the Team Bagley Twitter account. But I wanted to ask you, do you think there's any pressure on Monty McNair and the Sacramento Kings front office to move on from Marvin Bagley immediately or at least before next season, try and get something of value from him and, and just move on from the experiment that has been Marvin Bagley? Or... Is is it very much in the uh, back pocket of McNair to sit on this, to keep uh, Bagley around as long as the, the right deal is not there, wait maybe for the trade deadline next year and see how value and, and how circumstances can change maybe over time? Yeah, I don't think there's any rush to do anything with Marvin because 
you know, assuming Marvin's on the team when the season starts, it's not like Marvin's going to come in and destroy your locker room. This is not like a James Harden last year being <laughs> being in Vegas and Atlanta when camp starts. I don't think Marvin would do anything like that. And these guys still generally like each other. It's not like Marvin has a bunch of enemies in the locker room. So there's really no need just to move him for the sake of moving him. He's not ruining your chemistry or anything like that in terms of how the team functions. And it's not as if the Kings didn't look to try to see if they could get for Marvin already once. So I think they know the market for Marvin. And if the, I doubt seriously that the market that was out there for Marvin say in March is, is much different than it is right now. You know, people I talked to all said, you're not getting a first round pick for Marvin. You're not getting a, uh, you know, maybe a starter level player for Marvin. So with that being said, in fact, the, you know, there's a good chance the Kings could use, need Marvin to start next year. There's no need to just rush and get him out of town just for the sake of doing it, unless you get a deal that you like. I always felt like if Marvin got moved during the summer, it would be that he was part of a bigger deal. Like you needed his salary going in the next season to make, you know, to add up for a bigger player to come back and return. But I just don't see any urgency like you got to get Marvin out of town or else. There's a couple of things you brought up there that I want to talk about. First, you talked about the the team chemistry and the effect on the locker room. And, and like you said, we have no indication uh, that anything that has happened with Marvin over the last year plus, uh, in, including all the stuff on social media, has had a, an effect on the locker room. In fact, when other players have been asked about it, they said, like, you can't let that outside noise bother you. That, that stuff doesn't come in the locker room. And under normal circumstances, we'd be able to test that a little bit better with actually being in the locker room to, to see interactions with players before and after games. Obviously, we weren't able to do that over the last uh, season and a half because of COVID purposes. But based off of your understanding of the personalities in, uh, in the locker room, uh, the personalities on that Kings bench and including head coach Luke Walton. I imagine some of the players in the coaching staff, they're not happy to answer questions about things like this, but do you get any indication that maybe there's more fatigue with everything going on with Marvin Bagley than, than what players let on? Or do you genuinely believe them when they say, yeah, this is really a non-incident uh, when it comes to internally for us? I genuinely believe it because you look at it until was it last month with the whole liking of the liking of the tweet and taking the King stuff off his bio. Marvin hadn't really said or did anything. It was always, you know, well, someone from Marvin's family is on a, in a group on Facebook or, you know, and, and stuff like that. And generally the players, I know De'Aaron was on another, it was on I think Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson's podcast. We even said he had to tell his family. You guys realize when you do that, they ask me about it, not you. And I think, you know, there's a general understanding that if Marvin Bagley's dad wants to tweet, you can't blame that on Marvin. So you just kind of, you know, you kind of you know, roll with it, you know, and say, okay, it is what it is, no big deal along those lines. So I don't think there's really a fatigue just because it'd be different if Marvin kept doing things. You know, if, I, if we had a year of Marvin saying things and doing things, Really, the only thing that Marvin's done outwardly, uh, I call it the passive aggressive approach of let me remove the kings from my bio on social media, which does absolutely nothing. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think there's any reason to think that, you know, Marvin's an issue. I know the guys have been working out and Marvin's taking part in some of that as well. So it's not like Marvin's been isolated and no one likes him. Marvin and De'Aaron Fox recently did a podcast with former Sacramento King Karan Butler, uh, and I thought it was interesting timing to see the two of them interact because I've always had questions, Jason, about 
their chemistry. We know there was an incident a while ago, De'Aaron Fox responding to something, I guess, Marvin Bagley's dad said on social media. That never really was that big of a story, but it was an incident that took place, and then I think Fox quickly removed his his reaction to that. Um, so it never really went anywhere. But in terms of on-court chemistry, it's hard to believe that, that uh, Bagley's going into his fourth season, even though we know he has not played nearly that much. He's barely played over 50% of, of the games in his career so far. But we haven't seen that chemistry between the two, between Fox and Marvin Bagley and pick and roll or, or, or whatever. A lot of that probably having to do with the fact that Bagley's been off the floor so much. But to me, this year... The relationship on the floor between Bagley and Tyrese Halliburton looked a lot different than Bagley and De'Aaron Fox. Do you think there's a concern at all about Bagley and Fox, their ability to work in tandem to this point based off of that was one of the major reasons why the Kings drafted Bagley was so that he could fit in the system and work super well as a one-two punch with De'Aaron? I don't think it's a – I think everyone understands why the chemistry isn't all the way there. Marvin's been hurt. I mean, essentially, Marvin missed an entire season. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing where you say, you know what, what do you do about that? You know, it's not like Marvin tried to only play 13 games the second year, but it happened. And De'Aaron missed a little bit of time. So it's not, you know, that just comes with playing together. They haven't, they really, you know, for guys who have been, you said, have been teammates for three seasons, they haven't played a lot together. You know, in, you know, in big picture, then even last, this past season, you know, in crunch time, Marvin wasn't on the floor. And and I know people got mad at me. And I took some people said I was crazy. I'm like, and Marvin shouldn't have been on the floor in those situations. I agree. If you were trying to win the game, that is, you know, you can't, you know, so you can't have it both ways. You can't say you want to win, but hey, let's give a guy some minutes just so we can get some minutes. No, you got to earn those minutes. So part and one of the reasons why Marvin hadn't earned those minutes yet was in part because he didn't have the experience because he hadn't played and. I don't know why that's so hard for people to understand sometimes, but it just is what it is. So I don't think that's like a, a major concern just because, you know, Marvin hasn't played. And then if you look at the, the you go compare to Tyrese, Tyrese's whole style and demeanor is different. Tyrese kind of comes in with the idea, this is De'Aaron's team. I'm going to play off of De'Aaron. I mean, when you, I think Marvin is still out to prove, I mean, he'll say it has nothing to do with the whole draft situation. But he, Marvin gives hints when he says, you you haven't seen the real Marvin Bagley. You know, I've got so much you all haven't seen yet. Marvin wants to prove to everyone how good he actually can be. And I think, you know, when you there was times, especially early last season, where they struggled was because Marvin got the ball and Marvin was going to score no matter what else was going on on the court. And I think later in the year, he was better with that, mm-hmm. which helped with the chemistry. But De'Aaron wasn't playing. Right. So it's just you got to at some point get those guys together and maybe they can, you know, go to first 40, 50 games. Excuse me, next season they get that. But, yeah, it's just a matter of because bad luck. Like I said, Marvin comes back, De'Aaron's out. De'Aaron gets back, Marvin's out. They just can't stay, you know, stay healthy together. Today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. BetOnline.ag is the official sports gambling partner of the Locked On Podcast Network, where you can bet on baseball season. You can bet on the NBA Finals. You can bet on the NBA Draft, football, basketball, golf. It's got it all, including some really fun prop bets for you to check out. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on the action. This is your chance to get into the game as we wait to find out who is going to be our NBA champion this season. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. And when you sign up for the first time, use promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% 
welcome bonus. And here on the Locked On Podcast Network, we have a free resource for you, a podcast called Locked On Bets that'll help you make money on Bet Online. So take advantage of that. Take advantage of our 50% welcome bonus. Make some money on Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. You've brought up earning minutes, and I think that's a really important conversation. That seems to be an area of frustration with Marvin Bagley's camp, is they believe that not only has he earned those minutes, he's one of the stars of the team, and he belongs on the floor in the fourth quarter, even if the eye test says maybe he's not quite there yet, especially defensively. But based off of the Kings' cap situation right now, depending upon if they're able to find a deal that maybe involves Buddy Heald or even Marvin or or Harrison Barnes, the the Kings are pretty capped out, and there is a, a pretty good chance that as things stand, they will not be able to retain Rashawn Holmes. So now you're looking at this roster and you're looking at Marvin Bagley and saying he's might he's probably the best option the Sacramento Kings have at starting center next year. I wanted to get your opinion on the idea of Marvin, assuming, of course, he's healthy, being plugged into that starting lineup, being the starting five on day one of next season for the Sacramento Kings, if that's a route you think Monty McNair and the Kings would be comfortable with. Well, it may not be the, the primary idea just because defensively Marvin's not may not be there but for the last two years they've wanted to look at Marvin at center mm-hmm. Marvin just hasn't been able to stay on the court and then Rashawn Holmes is way better at that spot than Marvin was so the combination of just luck and injuries that kind of prevent that from happening because if you go back to the beginning of the 2019-2020 season the idea remember it seems like it was like 10 years ago but Dwayne Dedman was the starting center and the idea was that when you took Deadman out, you would slide Marvin to the five and kind of get this fast athletic lineup out there. And they just haven't been able to do it. But I think if you're going to the next season and say Rashawn is gone, and last season you had success with Harrison starting at the four, and you can find a suitable guy to play up court next, next to those guys, that might be an option. At the very least, Marvin is going to you know, probably be the backup five, at the least. You know, at the very least. So I think they're, they're ready to see those minutes and talk to scouts around the league. A lot of people believe Marvin's real position at center in, in, in today's NBA, mm. that he may not be as consistent of a shooter or be able to play in space, you know, well enough at this point to be a, you know, you're a, a stretch four right now. So, I mean, there's just so many different questions and mainly because we haven't seen enough of Marvin play. But they've, like I said, for two years, they've wanted to see Marvin play more center. So I think next year, no matter what happens, Marvin will be playing some center. Well, speaking of the starting lineup, and this is a big assumption based off of whether or not the Kings are going to trade Buddy Heald or not. I'm making the assumption with this question that Buddy Heald is not traded, that he is still part of the Sacramento Kings team. Do you think we're at this point, at least going into next year, based off your understanding of Luke Walton, that the plan going forward is is De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton fitting together at the one and the two uh, starting spots going forward. And I know we had discussions during the season about Buddy playing the three and whether or whether or not that could work long-term. Where do you think, assuming Buddy is still on the team, Buddy fits into that? And am I right in assuming that Fox and Halliburton are going to be the day one starters at one and two? Uh, to me, it's a kind of it's kind of hard to guess and say just because, like you said, Buddy, you know, depends on who you get to be the, you know, who you can get, you know, assuming you lose, say, Mo Harkless, who do, who else do you bring in? A lot of it's going to be based on that because they really like the idea of having, you know, the reason they love Tyrese off the bench so much was that 
they gave you a facilitator with that second group, but you also have DeLon right now. So now maybe DeLon takes that Tyrese role with the second group, and then you can start the, you can start three guards. Would maybe you go Buddy, Tyrese, and uh, De'Aaron, and maybe this Tyrese, if he does get stronger, he's a bigger guy. Tyrese is technically a three, maybe in that lineup. You know, because this it's just it's it's hard to kind of predict just mm-hmm. because like you know, I don't know if Buddy would be mentally in the right space coming off the bench. But the, really the reality is a lot of folks believe in and with and outside of the organization, Buddy should be a bench player. Mm. And not and not a bench player in the sense that he doesn't play, but in the sense that when he's on, he plays 35 minutes. When he's three or 13, he plays 20, 22. And that's, and that's kind of the, the ideally the way they would like to be able to function. So I think it, I, I, I expect Tyrese to start just to, no, no intel, just because I just think that that's the next progression for him is that you start him. And because you do have the lawn, right. There is no longer the idea of if we, if we start him, we have no more ball handlers. You do have another guy. And that's, and I think their best lineup is last year was when Tyrese and De'Aaron played together. And I think if you have enough depth, you can get you can get away with starting that. I think last season you couldn't do that because if you started, especially before you got the lawn, if you started Tyrese and De'Aaron together and you brought Buddy off the bench, for example, who runs the second unit with Buddy? You don't want Buddy being your your ball handler off the bench, right? So you know, so there were just, there were just issues they had in terms of depth. But I think this year. If you brought Buddy off the bench, it's just like a, you know, a, you go out there and just shoot, shoot, shoot. We saw two seasons ago, Buddy, you know, in terms of efficiency and scoring, he was better in that role. Mm-hmm. I know Buddy doesn't want to be a reserve player, but, you know, if they say numbers don't lie, the numbers didn't lie. Buddy was better in that role. And it's funny, Jason, because Buddy just did a an uh, interview recently with Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, and he brought up that 2019 team and talked about the freedom that he played with under Dave Yeager and brought up Elston Turner and the system that uh, they were playing at that time, which did feature starter Buddy at some points playing fast pace, but also when Yeager viewed him as a guy that should come off the bench, similar to how Luke Walton is uh, viewing him or has viewed him in the past, uh, he, he seemed to be successful, to your point there. But... You mentioned Mo Harkless in there, and I think you're you were alluding to the lack of wing depth with this Kings team. And there's a very good chance that Mo Harkless will not be returning. I think he's a very good value contract out there in free agency that a smart team will scoop up. Hopefully, he returns to Sacramento. I thought he was very good in his uh, time towards the end of last season. But in terms of wing depth, there are options potentially available for the Kings in this draft around that nine range, whether you're talking about Moses Moody, uh, talking about Franz Wagner, you can even uh, include Josh Giddy in there. There are, seem to be a lot of players around that nine range that seem to fit that two, three, four kind of wing style that, that the Kings are lacking. Any of those names taking a look at the draft or at that number nine range that you think the Kings might be targeting or that you personally are interested in knowing, okay, that can be a guy that can fill that hole that has been very difficult for the Kings to fill really since Rudy Gay was here. It's tough just because given the Kings state mission of getting into the top 10 or bust this season, I don't know if there's a guy that they can get in this drop into the starting lineup right? and say, Hey, you know, I look at a guy like Jalen Johnson from Duke who can go who probably play three in the four. They need more guys like that. You know, I think I think I think between Buddy, Tyrese, Delon, 
and De'Aaron, that two, three spot is covered now. Now you don't have enough three fours. You got Harrison Barnes, and you know, is Robert Woodard ready to be a contributor? I mean, the guy, you know, he had injuries as a rookie and didn't really play. So to me, that's their big hole right now is just if you lose, even if you keep Mo Harkless, that's still just Mo and Harrison. Right. You still need more there. And I think I think one of the reasons why Harrison wore down over the season was he was um, you were really logging major minutes with him. So I mean, a lot of the, all those guys you mentioned, you know, if a guy, you know, every year a guy who shouldn't be there falls to that spot. If James Bonite is there, I mean, those are all guys you look at and you take just because they can play and have potential down the road. But even even with that, I expect them to try to go out and find some veterans just because, you know, Tyrese is almost like lightning in a bottle. You normally don't get a guy, you know, 9, 12 range who finishes top three in rookie of the year voting. And it's almost a unanimous selection on the all-rookie team. That doesn't happen often. And you can't count on getting that again, you know, next season. So I think no matter who, who whether it be, you know, Keon Johnson, you know, all these guys, Moody, no matter who gets there, you're probably still going to need some at least one more vet to help those guys. And that's why the gut feeling for me for a while, and I know a lot here in Sacramento, has been that the Kings have been heavily or are going to be heavily shopping this number nine pick. Have you heard anything uh, to suggest that or to back that up? And uh, how how about you personally? Do you feel like that is the best best option to try and partner that pick, maybe with a Buddy Heald, maybe with a Marvin Bagley or whatever, uh, to go out and get veteran options out there? That's going to be probably the easiest way to get veteran help. But to me, the Kings are kind of in that, no man's zone with that being at nine. It's you look at the draft and you say, if they were top six, maybe someone is more eager to jump in there and say, I'll give you a, a high value player because like when I can get, you know, Kaminga, it's maybe it's six, or I can get Scotty Barnes, one of these guys that people are really high on. Maybe at nine, there's not a guy that someone sees until maybe the day of the draft. And you go, Oh wow, I can get that guy at nine. I want to get in, in there. But I think that's probably the quickest way to do it. But it, it really is a matter of who's available, what they're willing to give up. You know, is a team willing to take on one of their contracts, you know, in order to get a nice, the ninth pick? And you generally, you assume a team giving up a player of value is a rebuilding team. And who out there is really rebuilding and, and has good vets like that to give up? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a weird, it's a weird spot for them to be in just because. You would think for all these years of being in the lottery, they'd have more young assets and they really don't have a lot of young assets. So that's another thing that hurts them in trying to you know, move to get a vet. Uh, a lot of times these teams are going to want some young players and you're not trading De'Aaron, you're not trading Tyrese. So what, no, where does that leave you? you know, where does that leave you? Another pause here as I thank a fantastic sponsor of Locked on Kings. They've been around for a long time, continue to support the podcast network. I'm talking about Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's a protein bar that's covered in 100% chocolate. It's delicious. You'll have no idea that it's actually good for you. But I promise you, it is. They have amazing flavors, including my favorite, mint brownie, others like double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, cookies and cream, and more. You can try out all these different flavors by getting a mixed box on Built.com right now. All the flavors have 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180 per bar, only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, 
all healthy for you. And if you order today, you can get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like. Go to built.com, use promo code locked on. You'll get 15% off your order. Again, that's promo code locked on for 15% off at built.com. Would you be afraid based off of the, at least the, the move that Vlade made when he first came into Sacramento, that trade with the 76ers where a lot of picks were sent out? Would you be afraid of a, at least from the Kings' perspective, of a Monty McNair mortgaging the future for a win-now type move, selling uh, multiple first-round draft picks in order to be in the running for... I'm going to use Ben Simmons as an example because he's the name out there right now. I'm very skeptical about the Kings' chances of landing Ben Simmons, especially if Fox or Halliburton are not going to be involved in the deal. But if Monty McNair were to use future draft assets to really try for a swing-the-fences move, would you be afraid of that? Or are you in the point kind of where I'm at, which is like, what else have you got to lose? You're staring at the record in the face. Go for it. I think you got to go for it. I, I see... Nothing wrong with that if you're getting an impact player back. You know, you don't do that for, you know, I'm trying to think of a random guy. You don't give up that for a Kyle Kuzma type. Sure. You know, you don't do that for a guy who might be a decent player, you know, on the king, but he's not going to put you over the top. And I just don't know if they're going to be an over-the-top player that you're going to be able to, you know, to make a deal for, even with the, the stuff with Ben Simmons. I've, oh, I've said more than once. For, for Ben to end up in Sacramento, it's going to be like a three, four, five team deal. Mm-hmm. If that were, because the Kings don't have enough with their roster if they're not going to give up De'Aaron to get Ben Simmons. In just my opinion, you know, Phil is not going to take Buddy Hield and Marvin Bagley for Ben Simmons. Right. And, and, and number nine. Right. But if you, get, if you get multiple teams in there and maybe if somehow Philly ends up with, say, John Wall over there, you know, Maybe if all the other start parts start moving, maybe yeah, then they get the star they want, and you you know you can kind of move things around. But I don't see a path to getting a star player just off the Kings roster because the last time they had a, a bargaining chip like that, it was Demarcus Cousins, and they don't have a chip like that that they're, they'd be willing to move. You're not going to trade, you know, young De'Aaron Fox. You're not going to trade Tyrese, you know. And I think even for a guy like Harrison. The teams that he would fit aren't going to give you, you know, Boston's not giving you Jalen Brown for him. Right. So, I mean, there's just not, I don't see a path for the Kings just using their roster to make something happen. But what I do know about Monty McNair's background and kind of the guys who come from that Daryl Morey, Sam Hinkie tree, if there's an idea out there, you know, he'll, he'll throw, say, 200 ideas on the wall and 195 will be terrible, Mm -hmm. but why not check it out? What if someone bites on it? You know, it's almost kind of like that Philly deal with the Kings and the Sixers, you know, where you say, Hey, what if they, what if we take on their contracts and we agree to these crazy trade, you know, these swaps and everything, and they actually go for it. So, you know, they're going to throw everything out there and see what happens. I just don't see a realistic path unless you're talking three and four teams. The unpredictable nature of Monty McNair is what makes him so exciting, but also so infuriating sometimes to cover. When it came to Vlade, right, we knew for the most part what Vlade was looking at and and the moves Vlade was going to make. We could pretty much guess where he was going to be involved. With Monty McNair, it's like, all right, we'll just see what happens this summer. And a perfect example of that is how we have no idea, unless the players post to Instagram, we have no idea who's working out with the Kings, who the Kings have really talked to, uh, which I'm sure yourself, James Hamm, and multiple other uh, Sacramento uh, media members have been 
trying to get a hold of. But, Jason, I think we both agree that the best chance for the Kings to have an all-star next season is for De'Aaron Fox to become that all-star. And I thought he said something very interesting in his postseason or end-of-season media session. He talked about uh, after making the leap that we all, all, all wanted to see him make this year where he could put the team on his back, really take over, score 40 when he had to to leave the Kings to victory, he said... Like I, I knew that I could be great, but on the nights that I wasn't great, I have to learn to be good. And it's difficult to just be good every given night at the very least. And if, if De'Aaron Fox isn't good, the Kings' chances of winning is, is going to be really, really low. So is that the real next step for De'Aaron is, of course, he can have those 40-point nights or 30-plus point nights, but on nights when that's not happening, he still needs to be a good 25-plus points per game, maybe six to eight assists, and also defensively have a pulse? Yeah, I mean, I loved hearing him say that because it's 100% correct. I mean, it's it's 100% correct. I mean, when he... when when he was, you know, at his best, they're winning seven of eight, nine of ten. But when when he dipped, the dips were just too low. I mean, his bad game now has to be like, you know, he only had 22 points. Right. You know, it's just kind of like it's just, you know, where he is now in his career. And I think one thing about De'Aaron, he's always been good about acknowledging his weaknesses, whether it was he needed to be a better leader and be more vocal. You know, whether it was I got to get stronger, whether it's I got to shoot. But he's very self-aware of his game and what he needs to do to become a better player. And to hear, you know, to hear him say that, I'm like, okay, he is listening to what the coaches are telling him. And because that's been a message to him that, you know, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to be an, to be that elite guy every night. It's hard, you know. And what you can't have is you can't have what happened to him at that one stretch where, the Lakers come in and Dennis Schroeder just like makes life hell for him, you know, and, he, and then, you know, then Drew Holiday comes in the next, you know, and, does, you know, you can't have nights like that. It's hard to be, especially the way the Kings are constructed, you know, he has to be that guy yeah. almost every night. And I think, once again, I forgot one coach once told me, he said, you know, what makes the great one great is that in an 82 game season, they're good to great 60 games a year. Which basically means, you know, three out of every four, they, you know, they'll have one clunker maybe or one and a game. But the great ones bring it every night. And even if they're not shooting well, it's like they'll get 12 assists. You know, a guy like Russell Westbrook, he'll have bad shooting nights. He'll get 12 rebounds, 12 assists, seven steals. He'll do other things. So, you know, De'Aaron's aware of it to me, which is a good sign for the team. And. I think he'll he'll get better with that, but it's also on the Kings to get him more help and the other guys to step up as well. I mean, you know, you can't just be we got to it can't be De'Aaron and a prayer, right? Well, uh, last question that I have for you also has to do with postseason press conferences. And I asked Luke Walton when he and Monty McNair made it very clear that the goal next season was making the playoffs. I appreciate that they set that bar right away. They said, this is the goal. We either make it or we miss it. And that simplified things, I think, for everybody versus coming into last season. It was like, it's this gap year. We don't know if the Kings are going to be sellers at the deadline or buyers. We don't know how good this team is going to be. So now it's clearly laid out for us. It's playoffs or bust essentially for this team, or that's how they're looking at next season. At least that was my interpretation of Walton's word. So I asked Luke, does it matter 
how you make the playoffs. And he kind of rolled his eyes at me because I was alluding to what we just found out, which is going to be the the, the play-in tournament is going to happen again next season. In your mind, Jason, does it matter how this team makes it in terms of maybe Walton keeping his job? If the Kings are in a ninth or 10th seed and sneak their way into the postseason in that way and snatch away the eighth seed, does that matter or is it uh if the kings make the play in and are eliminated and technically don't make the playoffs does that is that enough for luke walton to keep his job i think if i don't know if they you know i think if they get in the top 10 because i mean i i don't know if i mean just you know we don't know what the rosters look like sure. going into next season but going into last season i thought they were 12 or 13 in the west i i thought outside of uh you know like oklahoma city they there wasn't like a there weren't a bunch of teams were in the West where I thought wow the Kings are really better than them like clearly better, so if they're in the top ten I think that means they finished ahead again of say a disappointing you know a a New Orleans team that had two All Stars on their you no know, I think that means they've made strides yeah and if, I mean if they if they're ten and they get in and they win two to get in the eight. I don't think they, they'll complain. I don't, they're not going to feel bad. They're not going to be like, well, dang, we snuck in. Because if they had got it in the bubble, they would have taken that. So I don't think it matters how it looks. If they get in, I think that's going to be the uh, the step for them. And, you know, I think that even the top 10, I don't know if that'll be enough to, to appease people who don't like Luke Walton. But <laughs> a lot of that will depend on the landscape of the West, you know, who gets better. I mean, the Warriors, you assume Clay, you know, he'll be back. And he, you know, if he's anywhere near Clay, they'll be better. Memphis will be better. So, you know, it won't be easy, but you figure at some point the Kings have to at least pass San Antonio, right? I mean, they just can't keep, you know, lagging, you know, fan, you know they, they'll probably lose DeRozan. So, I mean, the top 10 is there for them to have. I think they're going to be in the top 10 personally. I think they'll get, I don't know if they'll get in, but I think they'll at least be in the top 10. And from there, as you know, the, the Grizzlies show this year, you get in there, anything can happen. So you just got to get in. And I think, I think they'll get to the top 10 this, this coming season. It's great to hear a little optimism from Jason Jones of The Athletic. Check out all the great work that he does, all the fantastic coverage that he provides for these Sacramento Kings. Off-season, regular season, it does not matter. Jason, I'm looking forward to actually seeing you in person again, hopefully out at the California Classic here coming at the beginning of August. And uh, I appreciate you coming back on Locked on Kings. We'll have to do it again very soon. Uh, No problem. Take care. I love having Jason on. Can't wait to do it again. If you have anything that you want to respond to based off of our conversation, please send it to me at Matt George Radio on Twitter. Email me mgeorge at sacklocalmedia.com. Want to hear your thoughts on whether or not the Kings should rush to find a deal for Marvin Bagley if you'd be comfortable with them having him as their starting center going into next season. Plus, anything that you have about the draft, again, send it to me. Would love to hear from you. Would love to engage in conversation with you this weekend. We're getting very close to our Locked On NBA Ultimate Mock Draft that I hope you will check out to hear what kind of moves I made around draft night for the Sacramento Kings. And if you could leave a review of our Locked on Kings podcast, I really would appreciate that. Apple Podcasts or iTunes, the best place to do it. Hit five stars. You can leave a little blurb about what you like about the podcast, any constructive criticism that you have for the podcast. Leave it there and why you would encourage others, Kings fans or otherwise, to tune in and listen to Locked on Kings. Have yourself a great weekend. I can't wait to be back with you next week for more great content. Until then, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to Locked on Kings, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. You are Locked on Kings your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. 
part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. 